Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Waitley. Good morning, and it is a good morning. We're coming in hot today on a couple of hours sleep and a bursting sense of national pride, and I know I'm not alone. Throughout this year, our cricket team has been on an odyssey like none before. Throughout their travels, there have been triumphs, there have been controversies, and there have been agonising failures. In the wee hours, Pat Cummins' men completed their trek by winning the World Cup in a hostile environment like few teams from these shores have ever been subjected to. It was a triumph of planning and execution like you would rarely witness. That it came in the game that mattered most makes it the crowning glory of the mission. Australia outwitted and outplayed an Indian team many had hailed unbeatable to thwart the host nation's demonstration of cricketing might. The captain did the unthinkable after winning the toss. Cummins handed the bat to India, breaking all conventions about the weight of runs on the board in finals, the clear trend of this tournament, and playing to Rohit Sharma's preferred and dominant mode. But Australia had a plan. It worked so effectively that India was restricted to just four boundaries after the initial 10-over power play. A staggering statistic. That will always define this final The bowling was so clever and the fielding was brilliant. 240 was nothing like the totals India has produced at this tournament. Australia had budgeted for anything under 300. But the scourge of Indian conditions is you can do all the hard work and opened up the possibility of what seems like a manageable chase only to be swallowed up by the intensity and the mania. The fear was the drying pitch would cast a fatal spell. And it's not like we haven't seen that before. The sweeping madness in Delhi earlier this year, the most recent but hardly isolated example. And at 3 for 47, the sum of those fears was mounting. I wonder who among us went to bed fearing that was building. Dave Warner went to a ball that he should have left. Mitch Marsh got done by the lack of bounce. And Steve Smith, who, who never thinks he's out, was so scrambled that for once he thought he was Only he wasn't. The non-review of an LBW that would have been overturned is one of those telltales of the fever that gets visiting teams in those parts. And the full force of the crowd had been unleashed. The fervour of the Blue Army coloured every ball. Who could stand against it? Travis Head and Manus Labuschagne. That partnership was further proof positive of a raft of good decisions made at every level of this Australian setup.
it was a huge gamble not to replace Head in the squad when he broke his hand in the lead-up and was condemned to miss the first half of the tournament. And Labuschagne was never really in the planning. He spent the entire tournament waiting to be dropped. But when it came time to decide, the selectors liked the double insurance of heavy-duty batting. Should they be, say, three for 40-something in a final? A 192-run partnership that required immense concentration, daring shot play, and flecks of luck rendered India impotent. From about 70 runs out, it was clear Australia would win. You were even prepared to say it out loud. I can't remember feeling that way about a run chase in India before. Proving you not only need the skill for it and the nerve for it, you've got to have the head for it as well. Semi around the wicket. Water enters. He's caught this time. Coley went to his left sharply. Shami has struck immediately. Warner is on his way for seven. Boomer, elbow cocked, bowls. Marsh went after it, threw the lot at it. Has he nicked it through Rahul? He has. Boomer gets Marsh. Australia's two down. Last ball of Boomer is over. He delivers to Smith, who inside edge onto the pads. No, no inside edge. He's out. It got through onto the pads. Ooh. And Richard Illingworth had no hesitation in firing him. Or oh, head's gone down on one knee and has picked it up and smashed it into the crowd. Great shot. Massive six from Travis Head. Shammy around the wicket bowls. Head takes him down, straight down the ground for four. And as Head swings right across the line and pounds another magnificent six into the stands. And he is leading Australia in stunning style to silence so many. For a moment of history, Kuldeep bowls too. He plays from the stumps, he goes for the single, it's risky. Here's the throw, he would have been out. Instead it's 100. Oh, it's full of drama. Travis Head with a World Cup final century to add to a ton in the World Test Championship this year. And as he stands and raises his bat to this partisan Indian crowd, he has completed his journey to Australia's most important and prolific all-format batter. Labashane out of his pads, rolls it away through mid-wicket. He's Shot. found the gap, and it will not be overhauled. There's not a whole lot of commitment in the field right now. Because the die is cast, Marnus Labuschagne goes to a 50 to put his mark on a World Cup final. He's just held his place in this team by hook or by crook. Yep. And he pays his way in the final. Two for victory for Australia. Glenn Maxwell to see his first ball. Siraj bowls to him. Maxwell clobbers a ball out to square leg. A dive on the boundary to save it. They'll come back for a second. And Australia has won the World Cup. A sixth championship victory. And surely none greater than this. In the most partisan, intimidating environment that this tournament has ever seen. Australia has quashed all of India in one night. One three hundred seven three six seven three six to share the pride and affection for this team. They've given it to us repeatedly this year. That test victory in Indoor, that first Ashes thriller at Edgbaston. They topped all that in Ahmedabad just before 3am. And this trophy's place in the cabinet will be a revered one. We have a deep affection for 1987, our first World Cup, one in Pakistan and India. 
1999 has long been our favourite. The unbeaten sequence in India after a, a stuttering start that culminated in a tied semi-final and a thumping finals victory over Pakistan. But every part of this eclipses what has gone before. An unfancied team thought to be overloaded with Red Bull cricketers, led by a captain few thought worthy of his place in the team. Players that looked moody and jaded as they lost their first two games and sat on the bottom of the table. Then a nine-game streak to the title in conditions that have always proven tricky for the generations that have gone before. Climaxing in a finals domination of a previously unbeaten Indian side. By every measure, this is the greatest. And this morning, we should revel in it together. one 736 736 and the 40 Wings Temper text 0433 98 11 16. Temper, a mattress like no other. Just a quick snapshot of how you're feeling. Australia has had its crowning moment tonight as the international kings of sports history. I'm so proud to be an Aussie right now. 3.16 a.m. It was an astounding day of cricket and probably the greatest day in our 160-year cricket history. Michael and Clyde, I stayed up all night, went to sleep at 3.10 and woke at 5.50 a.m. with the feeling of greatness and extreme tiredness. It started with Cummins bowling changes to Labashane and Head having an amazing partnership for the ages. It's going to be a long working day. I'm bloody proud to be an Aussie. And M in Elwood. Morning, Jared. My son has a year 11 exam today and stayed up until 3 a.m. watching the cricket. I'm not sure whether it's good parenting or not. Oh, it's good parenting, M. That's the sort of stock we want to raise. Remarkable victory by the Aussies when many of us had written them off after the first two games. Nick is in McKinnon. Welcome to you, Nick. G'day, Jared. How are you, mate? I'm well. I uh, I, I fell asleep for, um, after uh, three for 100, but I was reasonably confident. But I'll, I'll have to put it on my tally at work all day today. I've, I've got an Indian mate that we've been talking cricket nonstop for six weeks. I couldn't get onto him last night. I call him. <laughs> they, they went a little bit quiet, Nick. Yeah, it must have been at a reception or something, but I'll put it on today for him so in case he missed it as well. Yeah, you thought silencing the Crows crowd at, at Adelaide Oval was something, is what happened last night. Is, is It was forecast by the captain and it was delivered by the team. It's a remarkable achievement. Nick, thank you. Greg's in Spotswood. Welcome to you, Greg. G'day, Jared. How are you, mate? I'm well. Yes, definitely a bit tired, but um, I've got to put my hand up this morning. I was um, telling anyone that would listen that these three fast bowlers were just not up for the one-day game anymore and um, definitely happy to be proven wrong. I thought they were fantastic, uh, well-planned, well-executed, and then little Booney come in and just did what he did. And um, Yeah, Trevor said he's just a gem. He's a gem. But I've got to say, after 10 overs in each inning, I was definitely worried, but we just uh, pulled through and I'm um, definitely happy to be tired, mate. Greg, that's beautiful. Is there, There's a lot of... Uh, there was a bit of the skies falling after two games. Robert Craddock will join me after eleven. He he was the he was the one counselling. Just I've seen this before. Just steady on. But it was a team that looked like it had too many red ball cricketers. They looked jaded. They looked moody. They're dropping catches. Those conditions had got in their heads. They pushed all of that out. I suspect they've been brilliantly led by their coach and their captain who will get the plaudits that they deserve. Margaret's in Sunbury. Hello to you, Margaret. Jared, I I had the feeling I didn't give up the faith, I tell you. Even, oh, I nearly dropped dead when they gave up the, the uh, bat, though. To go, uh, they decided to bat. Yep, yep. To bowl, I mean. Yep. I couldn't believe it, but... Uh, 
uh, I never gave up on them. I knew that they were had their they were switched on. And Davy, I know he didn't make it with the bat, but he made a hundred in the field. He fielded, he stopped a hundred runs. I reckon he was brilliant, absolute brilliant. Oh, I'll never be so proud of them. Really, they. I kept saying all the way through the in, the Indians innings, we're going to win. Their run rate shocking. Look at that. Look at that run rate. It will kill that run rate. Yep. You wait and see. N- nobody believed me, but there you go. Proven right, I'm, Margaret. Proven right. I'm, I'm on top of the world. How lucky am I to be here to see it? Cheerio, fellas. Good Bye. on you, Margaret. Lovely to have you there. Fizz has got the sentiment. A great morning to wake up sleep deprived. It is that every bit. Let's share this with Tim Payne, who's part of the Guild of Australian Cricket, has been a captain himself. I wonder if he gets the same buzz out of it that we as the layman do. Hello to you, Tim. Morning, Jared. How are you? What's your sense of pride in what just got achieved? Oh, mate, I'm, yeah, I'm so proud to be in Australian after watching that today, but I think more so I'm, I'm just so happy for that group of players and staff. Um, you know, they've had a hell of a 12 months, the World Test Championships, now a World Cup win, probably out of nowhere, you know, a month or so ago um, with everyone writing them off. And as you touched on, that just the team didn't look like they were playing anywhere near their best. They looked tired. Um, they'd had a, a tough tour of South Africa, albeit with not their best team on the park. Uh, same in the, the lead-up in India. And then as that tournament built, the momentum built, and they timed it perfectly. And, um, you know, last night was, you know, from Travis Head, one of the all-time great innings, and, and Marnus Labuschagne as well. There's no greater cauldron in world sport than in Ahmedabad last night when we were three for 47 and to have a world-class test match batsman come in when some of us thought maybe he shouldn't be in that team. That that last night, that scenario, that situation is why he was in that team. I'm struck by the perfect fusion of planning and execution from the, the bold choice at the toss, which risks all manner of ridicule if that goes wrong, but they had plotted a course. You could see it in the way that they bowled, the, the craftiness, the changes that were made. You could see it in the field. They clearly had gone deeply to school on India, having been beaten by them earlier in the tournament. And then to so to lay out the plans and then to execute them so well as the triumph in that, I, I feel like it is one of the great triumphs on that front. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought their planning uh, first off, even with the toss, I think a few eyebrows were raised when when Pat um, decided to have a bowl. But again, the conditions, they know that you've got a lot of guys that have played in the IPL over there. They know the dew comes in over there. And I mean, I've been on tours myself in India years and years ago in one day cricket where the dew gets so heavy over there. Literally guys are putting balls in a bucket of water to bowl with it during the day to train just to try and get used to the conditions that you're going to get that night. So they knew that was going to happen. Um, but it is. It's a gutsy call, as we know, because if it goes the wrong way, people are going to jump all over them. But um, that was the first, you know, really good move. And then I thought Paddy Cummins with his fields, uh, Andrew McDonald, the staff, the planning that they put in. You could tell from the first over with the field they set for Rohit Sharma with the deep point, the fly slip. Uh, and then when Rohit and, and um, sorry, when Virat and KL Rahul were batting to go with that four-man offside field, I don't think I've seen that before, with a really wide mid-off, a deep point, a backward point and a third man, no cover in a one-day game. One, it's gutsy captaincy and great planning from the staff, but two, you touched on it, the execution from our bowlers 
um, was sensational. And, and Paddy Cummins recognising the moment as well when we had them three down, that they were going to go back into their shell and build a little bit. I thought the way he rotated our bowlers through that situation with Travis Head bowling some overs, uh, Mitchell Marsh banking some overs. So it allowed flexibility the back end of the innings with our best bowlers. So I thought Paddy pulled every string last night and it was basically the perfect performance from a captain. Uh, he'll get all the credit for that, as he should, and um, I think some of the backroom staff um, with Andrew McDonald should as well. Before we get to Australia's batting, just on an Indian front, so the reviews are going to be harsh on this, and the question that will sit over them is, were they overly tentative in a final? Just to strike two boundaries between overs 11 and 40, and then they had lost wickets, two on the way in. It's staggering that you could have 40 overs beyond the power play and only strike four boundaries. Yeah, and yeah, some of that's got to be their mindset and their mentality. And the other part of it, as we've touched on, is the execution of bowling um, from the Australians. Paddy, we've spoken about his captaincy. That's as well as I've seen him bowl for a while too in a one-day game. I thought his energy, uh, his change-ups, his accuracy, his speed was great. Zampa was fantastic through that middle period as well. So you've got to give the Aussies credit there, but... When teams have quality like we do and like Indians do, you, you've got to have the courage to take it on. And I thought that was the difference in the game. When we were three for 47, Travis Head took the bit between the teeth and said, I'm going to win the game for Australia. I'm going to keep playing the way that I play and my role in the team is to be aggressive. I thought Virat and KRO all went back into their shells. Yes, they needed to build a partnership, but the modern day has gone past that. You need to be able to put good bowlers off their line and length. And if you can't, um, you know, they're too good. They won't miss. So I thought that was that was the difference. The Travis Head, I'm going to take the game on. India tried to build a bit of a uh, partnership and um, the Aussies took um, full toll on it. So in this calendar year for Travis Heads, he, he bats Australia to victory at Indoor in what could have been a, a tricky small chase, but um, he's untouchable on that final morning where he makes the 49 not out. He sets the World Test Championship up on day one with 163 against India at the Oval, and Australia goes on to win that. He returns from a broken hand, which will become the stuff of folklore at Dharamashtala and makes a, a frightening century. And then in the semi-final, he's the key role, 62, and Australia had the jitters up, and then 137 in a World Cup final. And his, his progression to the top, I feel, Tim, is complete. Yeah, I can't agree more. And I think we spoke about it a while ago, Jared. He's become Australia's most important player if you're combining all three formats. And, um, you know, it's not just the runs that he's putting out. It's now the games that he's doing it in. And that counts. And the way that he's doing it in these games. Again, three for 47 in that situation, that pressure cooker last night, a lot of people would have gone back into their shell and tried to, if you like, fight their way out of it. And I thought the way he just took the game on, it it's, takes so much courage in the biggest moment of your career to back in exactly how you want to play and how your role is in the team when it is a high level, a high risk, high reward style of cricket. And, you know, he's obviously got the full backing. I think Pat's done a great job with him. Uh, so is Andrew McDonald to back him in to keep playing that way. And he obviously feels the love from those guys. So in any situation, the biggest situation that he's ever played in his life, he's just gone out, seen the ball and hit the ball. And um, yeah, I think it goes down for me as as the greatest one day innings we've seen. Yes, it is. I think so. The numbers were um, Adam Gilchrist in the final of 2007 and Ricky Ponting's star turn in the final of 
at 2003, which took the game away right at the start. But this in the conditions and the fact that, I mean, he really wasn't anywhere in his first 20 balls as Australia went down three for. So to be able to compose himself and, and work his way through it. J- just for the overall, in this trophy's place in the uh, in the cabinet, six World Cups, um, I-, I think it's the greatest. I, I think you can easily make the case um, not to run down any of the others, which hold such a place in our hearts. But to achieve it in this manner, at the end of this odyssey, in those conditions and against the team that the whole tournament was set up for, I have no hesitation in declaring it the greatest. What, what, will, be the, what will be the legacy of this World Cup? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the greatest World Cup victory ever, not just from Australia. I think of all teams. And in terms of Australian sport, I think it's right up there um, with, with the best, if not the best, World Cup, World Championship, whatever you want to talk about. I think this one is going to be spoken about for a long time because of those difficulties and the, and the small little things like um, Travis Head's selection right back at the start was spoken about. It's too big of a gamble. That That's going to go down as one of the greatest selection calls in sporting history. I think the fact they stuck with Marnus, knowing that potentially this time, this moment last night was going to come and under pressure you need a high-quality test match batter. Uh, he delivered... Uh, the start of the tournament, some injuries, the form of our captain, the question marks over our ability to take new ball wickets through the tournament. Our play of spin during the tournament had been questioned. And then last night, I think we go none for 100 off 20 overs. So uh, again, just the ability for the Australian cricket team to build in a tournament. Like I, We talked about it the other day. India were playing at such a high level the whole way. Australia just kept getting better and better and better and better and I thought, I mean, you could tell in the first over last night there was two or three stops in the field and you thought, geez, they're on here. Um, and, and then skilling that, like you said, they, they look tired at the, end of, at the start of the World Cup. At the end of the World Cup, they look like they could do it all again. So there's, there's a lot to be said for the planning and the thought that's gone into how they're going to win this World Cup. Yeah, I love the messages that were com- are coming through. How good were our bowlers? How good was our fielding? What about heads, cats? Everyone can see something different in all of this, Travis had tempered his game and it was required. He trended up and down versus Jadeja and, and Kuldeep. Um, so, uh, so fulfilling. So just, just a closing word, Tim, you set us up last Monday. I asked you what was par and you said Australian teams expect to win these tournaments. Is there something in the, the DNA that gets passed from one generation to the next that actually sets teams up to thrive in these moments where others can shrink? Yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, we've been very lucky as Australian cricketers to always, since you know, since the early '80s, to have great teams, and it's just ingrained in you that when you go and pull that shirt on, you you expect to win. And we know that our best cricket is always going to be competitive. When you look at the what what what's happened last night, you know, a country of 1.5 billion people, their number one sport in their own conditions for a country of 25 million to go out and win it, it, it the numbers against that are just staggering. And um, I, I think last night actually gives this generation of Australian cricketers the credit they deserve. I think some of the guys we've seen in that team last night that have won two World Cups now, they've won a T20 World Cup, they've won the World Test Championships. This cements five or six of the players in that team last night as some of the absolute all-time greats of Australian cricket. And, and I think over the last two or three years, they, they haven't got that credit. Your Steve Smiths, your David Warners, your Mitchell Starks, Patrick Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Glenn Maxwell, 
there's a list of those guys that will be remembered now. And you've got to win big tournaments and World Cups to cement that. Um, but yeah, th- this team and this generation also for me now go down as one of the greats. They've been extraordinary. Um, and I'm just so happy for them that they now get the credit that I think they deserve. Now, that's a perfect tone to set for this Monday morning. Tim, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy basking in Australia's victory. Will do. It's going to be a great day, that's for sure. Good on you. Tim Payne there. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. It stirs the national pride on a day such as this. So pour it all forth. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Now, back to Waitley. Let's give voice to this bursting sense of national pride. Sue is in Melbourne. Hello to you, Sue. Hello, Jared. Yes, firstly, congratulations to a team of champions. They were fantastic. Who then were a champion team. Um, we were watching it with a couple of the gentlemen in the family who sort of immediately called into doubt Cummings' wisdom when he... Uh, you know, they said, we'll bowl first. But uh, anyway, immediately, we, for the amateur that I am, immediately could tell their fielding was immediately spot on Australia. They were fantastic. But I was out of the room when I thought, what's happened to the television? It's gone off. I came in and the utter silence that was met at the ground when Coley went out. Yes. I, I I came in and I said, let's turn the telly down. And they're all <laughs> standing there. Well, there was enough noise in our house to make up for the noise that wasn't at the ground. But we had to replay that twice just to get the impression of what it must be like to not bear it for Collingwood, you know, or something <laughs> like that. When it is just so, and the look on their face faces the poor people well because that then of course we just had to open another bottle of bubbly didn't we but no <laughs> congratulations to them i thought they were terrific they did it uh, cleverly they did it with talent and all through the uh, all through the tournament there's always been at least one batsman or bowler that stood up for australia and we thought Glenn Maxwell's antics, he would have tra- changed the training protocol because you had to fall off the back of a golf buggy <laughs> before you went and played the next game. But no, it was just it was just nice to see a bloody good team do well. That's a great sentiment, Sue. I think I'd enjoy watching sport in your lounge room by the sound of that. Uh, you've sort of channeled the same energy. Barrett Sunder Racing was using this and it's come through on the text. I liken it to Rocky versus Drago, Australia versus the entire country. Jack's on the road. Welcome, Jack. Jared, uh, this team, this team needs a motorcade right to the MCG. It needs to be cheered and revered by the Victorian government and all the Victorian people because we are the state of sport here in Australia. Also, if these guys don't get an order of Australia uh, next year, uh, the Australian government should be disgusted with themselves. This team is the greatest one-day team I've ever seen, and I've been around for a while. Pat Cummings will go down as one of the best captains Australia's ever had because of his attitude, his loyalty and his understanding of his players and his players love him. Jared, they love him. And when you're playing for a captain like that, 
there is no end to what they can do. And for every young Australian, be proud from coming from the dead to come and win a game like that in an environment where it's... Look, a lot of people, Jared, don't understand that environment. It's hideous. It's disgusting. It's one of the greatest wins I've ever seen, Jared. I'm very proud to be Australian. Beautiful, Jack. I wonder who it is that constitutes ticker tape parades these days. We might have to work the phones a little bit. Jack, thank you. Kathy, Darren, David, Nick, you're next after Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Greg's text through. I think like most yesterday, it was probably a watch the first innings and then decide if you're going to bed or not. There was no chance of that happening. 4am, very tired and very happy. Kathy's in Keelor. Welcome, Kathy. Oh, morning, Jared. How could you not love this team? They they win me over just by singing the national anthem, Jared. I love our teams that sing our anthem. And for the life of me, I don't know why our football teams refuse to do it. And yeah, I think teams- yeah, I th- I can half answer that, Kathy. Is when you're playing for Australia. The anthem is the rallying call. When you're playing a footy game, it's a ceremony. Uh, and I reckon therein lies the difference as to whether you're totally into it or not. But I'll throw back the Americans do it in all their sporting competitions. Yeah, their nationalism is they a little bit different to ours. Oh, very different. <laughs> um, I'm still laughing at Steve Smith, who appeals... Him and Marnus, they always appeal. Never out. Never out. That's right. I'm never out. I'm (laughs) never out. And the one time he hasn't appealed. Oh, look, just so funny. And I really think Simon said it this morning. We worked our way into the tournament. Like we were pretty ordinary to begin with, but we just got better and better. And how appropriate to play Thunderstruck when we've got our trophy. I think that's just brilliant. Good on you, Kathy. Oh, there, there's a there's a documentary in the presentations, if you happen to sit up that far, is when the Prime Minister of India and the Deputy Prime Minister of Australia are sort of called forth to present the trophy. They come forward without the trophy and they're sort of standing around with Pat Cummins, who's waiting for the trophy. And then the trophy gets handed over and... They're sort of posing together. And all Pat wants to do is share it with the team. The fireworks go while the politicians are with the captain. And then they depart. And there's all these handshakes going on. And the so the players can't get to the podium. So Pat's there whistling Dixie, holding the trophy, standing alone on the stage. It, it was... Uh, it, it took an interminable period. But for that alone, it was worth it. Kathy, it's lovely, lovely to hear from you. Darren's in Blackburn. Welcome, Darren. Jared, I lay prostrate before the altar of forgiveness. I humbly seek the apologies of the Australian captain, Pat Cummins, the entire fast bowling lineup. So Steve Smith and Marnus Labuschagne can't be in the same team. They've got it all wrong, Jared. They've got it all wrong. We lost the first two games. I thought from there, as long as we don't lose to bloody England. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, Oh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Australia's greatest World Cup victory ever, but I don't think the greatest. I think the greatest one was uh, India 
and the low-scoring win over the almighty West Indies in 1983. I think that was probably the one that came from the rafters because they certainly weren't the powerhouse of then that they are now. Yeah. But, um, but I, I think it was just an, an amazing effort in resilience. And um, I, again, I was vindicated. Pat Cummins should not be captain. Yes. And he, well, we finally wins the toss. And he says, we'll have a bowl. But I was placated somewhat by Brendan Julian and Brad Haddon saying that all the Ahmedabad games had been won by the team chasing. So I thought that at least keeps us in the hunt. So um, it was a phenomenal effort. And I think... Uh, well worthy of me throwing myself before the altar of forgiveness and humbly seeking apology. I love that, Darren, as we all should have it in us at a time like this where we doubted. I like Chris from Newcastle. This is such an intelligent observation. The team playing was top level. They turned up knowing they would bowl. Regardless of toss, India would choose to bat. So you lose the toss, you bowl, you win the toss, you bowl. Everyone knew the plan. Everyone was ready. I love the courage and the execution. So proud of this team and the senior players. David, Nick, Janine, Danny, we revel in Australia's World Cup victory. And then Crash is going to join us at 11. Uh, What a day to have his wisdom and experience. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. Waitley on SEN. Sharon and Glenn Iris is just waking up. I watched from start to finish, absolutely brilliant fielding and bowling. To hold India to such a modest total was such a disciplined effort. David's in Mernda. Welcome to you, David. Yeah, good morning, Jared. Uh, a little bit tired this morning and uh, a little bit sore from the elbows from the wife as well. Summons me uh, quite a few times. But uh, look, I was extremely excited and just the emotion that went sort of through me with that national anthem. Um, just the boys, they overcome, you know, the crowd and the distortion and, and etc. And uh, just to get the sway and things, I, I just felt that the presence there and then um, in, in the middle of my lounge room. I uh, don't know whether you got the same feel for that, uh, but, you know, I, I think the exciting thing is I've got a 13-year-old son and the next generation of cricketers had something forward to look forward when we said one day it was dead. I think it's alive and well. The World Cup tournament has shown its worth again, and it, it equally demonstrates uh, just how meaningless the 50-over cricket that's played in the intervening period, the, the bilateral series, is. Um, ah, I beg your pardon. So, um, But the World Cup is such a pinnacle ach- um, tournament. This was a brilliant format where everyone played. It, so it takes a long time, but it was absolutely worth it. I thought it was captivating from start to finish and, and clearly shows the worth of the tournament. Now, what to do with the format in between time, that's the question. But it, it still feels like the pinnacle tournament in cricket to me, David. Nick's in Hoppers Crossing. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Jared. Thanks for taking my call. This in two parts. I'll try and make it quickly as I can. Congratulations, firstly, to the team. Let me take a statement from Paul Keating, where he was really against it, up against it. This is a win for the true believers. And I was believed in this side from time that um, Cummings took over as a captain. Never had any doubts. It's good to hear that the people of Australia are now going to love the team again. And my second part, you have to give tribute to the, the trio. Cummings, um, Hazelwood and um, Stark. What a great unit. If we didn't have them as bowlers, we wouldn't be chasing this small title of winning. And another bit about Barnes, Barnes and Travis. 
great selection for Manus. He kept an end. He did what he had to do. And I could see Head, a, a younger border type of player that plays under pressure. Two players after Cummins could be the future captains of Australia. I'm very glad. I always thought, sorry to my Indian friends and colleagues, I said, you won every game, but it could be a situation where you could lose, where anything can happen. It has happened, and it did happen, and I'm glad for the side. Very chuffed about it. Now let's go to the test series and, <laughs> and continue the love for the team. Forget about the past. Think about the future. Yeah, there's a chance to celebrate this team across the summer. The cricket won't be as captivating as what they've been engaged in offshore, but the, the, our connection to them I think will be on rich display. Good on you, Nick. There's some great stuff in there. Janine's in Narry Warren. Welcome, Janine. Oh, good morning, Jared. Yeah, look, that's that. I've watched a lot of cricket. I've been watching cricket since I was like eight years old. That's that's the best thing I've ever seen in cricket. To me, that was just amazing. Their resilience. Um, it was such a professional. And I don't know they're professional cricket. It was such a. Um, you know, they didn't start off too well. We all know that. I never lost faith. Um, my sister said to me the other day, oh, they're not going to beat India. I said, oh, don't you be surprised. <laughs> I said, you know, they're, <laughs> they're just an, they're an amazing team and um, I couldn't be prouder of them. One thing I will say, the Indian crowds do disappoint me when they don't applaud good shots from opposition players. Um, that's the one thing Australian cricket crowds will always applaud, a good shot from an opposition player or a great catch. They just go completely silent, which disappoints me. But um, And it'll be interesting to see what is being said in the English press about this one. I wonder if they're talking <laughs> about it, Jerry. Man well, for man. Yeah. Man for man, they're a better team, Janine. They'll be comfortable in that assessment. They don't have anything to show for it, but that, that moral high ground, uh, well done. Well done by this Australian team. Um, I'll sneak, let's sneak Danny in. Danny, give us your best. Two words, Jared. Justin who? <laughs> I I think that so Justin Langer led that team to win a T20 World Cup. It showed that Andrew McDonald was a great choice for this team in this moment. He's a great partner for Pat Cummins and what they're trying to do. And this was the ultimate triumph of planning and execution. So that's the fusion. It's the fusion of the coaching staff with the players on the field. We saw it richly play out before our eyes across the semi-final and the final. So Justin's era achieved a lot, including the restoration of Australian cricket. And now Andrew McDonald's era is is fully enshrined in what they've been able to do across the most demanding calendar year that's ever been asked of an Australian team. We'll get the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock in all of this while we, while we just try to place it in its historic context. I like this. This is our cricket's version of the America's Cup 1983 win. Travis Head is our winged keel. Pat Cummins is our Ellen Bond. <laughs> he probably deserved a little bit better than that. He might be our John Bertrand. Now, back to Waitley. Hi, Jared. As a proud South Aussie, my dad came out of bed for the start of the Aussie innings and said, all right, I'll stay up until head goes out. Needless to say, it was a long night for him. Great father-son moment to share. Go, Australia. Robert Craddock at 11, his wisdom experience. More of your calls. Our final spring racing means test is next. This is Waitley. 
The Spring Racing Carnival extended to have Group 1 racing at the back of the Melbourne Cup Carnival, so we decided to extend our Spring Racing Means Test by one week to marry up with that. We bring Waitley and Giddy up together across these weeks. We have been hugely amused and entertained and quite often shocked by what John O'Neill and Wayne Hawks have given us across these weeks. Uh, so they are in position. Wayne, welcome back. Morning, Jared. John, it's lovely to see you. Great to see you, Jared. And Gareth Hall well, guides us how's through the coffee our today, test. Jared. I was listening to you. I was watching. I was listening to SEM. I was watching the cricket last night. Brilliant coverage. Do you remember the the movie Farlap? Yes. So you know when Farlap's late for the Melbourne Cup because yes. he was based at Geelong, they couldn't start the the the, the, the horse truck. Anyway, I was, I was texting Adam White. I was like, where's Waitley here with it? I'm only listening. Oh, I love you, Whitey, and that, but I'm only listening because I wanted to listen to Waitley um, call the World Cup cricket. And then um, it was late. There was a plane flight that was late. And you know when the far lap comes down there? <laughs> oh, running down the... Yeah, around the, the, um, Yep. And then he arrived. Late in the what first innings. I'll tell you one thing. He's done a huge job to late. get back from India. Late. That's yeah. what i got to say. You were late. Yes, yeah, I, I swung in to close out the Indian innings. Right. Part of the heavy and lifting. And you bagged me done. for being late on Derby <laughs> Day. Wasn't his fault. You are unbelievable. <laughs> no. Oh, you give it to me about being late Derby Day. a whole I, set of circumstances. I just thrown him under the bus for, <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for the final show. I didn't know we started with, oh, no. Good on you. <laughs> All right. So Gareth? this is our big finish. Uh, Gareth, you have the King's Gambit after Caulfield Thousand Day. It was interesting, wasn't it? The the first time that we've had the thousand guineas there in the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes, and we'll discuss whether that worked a little later on. But it was all about Damien Oliver and his final day of racing in Melbourne. And I think Caulfield's been his most successful track in a way when it comes to Group One successes in Melbourne. I thought it was a, a fitting send off for Ollie throughout the carnival, not just at Caulfield, and he didn't get a winner. But I thought the way that all of the clubs, but especially Flemington and Caulfield handled it, handled it was was superb. But I couldn't help but think, like, when James McDonald rode that Group 1 winner and we call Ollie the goat, I don't know how long he'll hold that tag for because J-Mac is coming and he's coming quickly. He is the rapid rate of his accumulation in big races at the moment. But you still have to do it. So Ollie's got to 50. He's yep. done it over such a long period of time is, well, J-Mac has this period where he's just gathering all the big ones around yeah. him. To to get to those numbers, you have to endure everything, don't you? You have to endure injury. You have to endure um, the the ebbs and flows of season after season after season. And when you think about Ollie and the success that he's had, he's had a career that he's had a lot of ups and downs. And we can't forget, and, and like, he's he's... He's always you always need a little bit of luck in life, but he did have ten thousand dollars on a horse that he backed against, and he only got eight months for. And he, had he, one, he, he would one, have been one, banned one gin and tonic. Yes, he would have been banned for life if he did it today. One goat, yes. mate. one goat, one goat, as Wayne would say. <laughs> so it's it's going to be a great movie if Ollie made a movie because it would be interesting viewing. Um, I saw the great man yesterday. Actually, yeah, how um, was he? Yeah, really good. Trish uh, put a put a luncheon on at uh, Lamaro's. Just okay. a, a surprise shout? scenario. He shouted, <laughs> which was interesting. He? So he was Did locked he? up with his Whoa. with his family and Mark Van Treek, his uh, his long term friend and manager. And there was about fifty or sixty gathered for a little bit of a surprise catch up with him. So thirty five years I've known that young fella for, and. Uh, Obviously spent a lot of time with him over the Friedman era and, you know, he used to win by a nose most of the time till he got his nose done <laughs> and uh, then he had to ride a bit more vigorously, but he's just been uh, just a star of the sport and it was so interesting yesterday. He said, Johnny, to be honest, I'm really going to miss it, but I've had enough of all this fanfare. It's just not, 
who he is, you know, and he's walking out, people are applauding and they're giving sort of almost like running through the banner scenario. He's a non-emotional guy, but well, that's just, not being negative either. No, look, he's just been a wonderful person for our sport and it was great to see so many people celebrating, but I think he's had enough. He wants to go to Perth yeah. and yeah. ride some winners and then and then zip off into the sunset, now, I think. I think you'll be okay in the media. He's going to go into the media after his racing career. I hope he can watch AP McCoy. He does a terrific job in England. And if he has strong opinions, Ollie... And he's not scared to to share those strong opinions. He'll be terrific for the game. Our debate is: Did Caulfield Thousand work? So this is sort of um, this is all racing can do. It is these weeks of November are so wide open, and racing has been crazy not to mind them. But because the VRC won't move the Melbourne Cup Carnival back, like Saturday should have been Cox Plate Day, and we should be building up to Derby Day. The Cup should be the last Tuesday in November, not the first Tuesday in November, so that you could own all of this time. But once that can't happen, all you can do is displace a couple of Group 1 races. And I think that was evident. The crowd was 7,500. The carnival finishes at Flemington. You can't get people. So the racing was excellent. The fields were top shelf. And this is all you can do, and racing absolutely should do it. But the, all this does is emphasise that the real answer is sliding the whole carnival back to have this time for racing. I think racing's got a six-week window. Like people, the, 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 the dead set racing fans will enjoy a Saturday, like a Thousand Guineas Day that happened at Caulfield. But from a crowd point of view, they've got six weeks in Melbourne because it's expensive to go to the races. The girls are going to buy new dresses. The boys are going to go and buy their new suits. And by the time you've got the Guineas, the Caulfield Cup, into the Cox Plate and then the four days at Flemington. By the time the Champions Day comes around, every racing fan needs a bit of a, a spell. Um, but I can understand what they tried to do with the Thousand Guineas and the Surupa Clark Stakes. I think you got to stop it at the end of the Champions Day. I think that's just a, a nice full stop. But if they're going to do something new, like push the carnival back and they're going to have a meeting at Caulfield, they've got to innovate. It doesn't work by just putting a Sir Rupert Clark Stakes or a, or a Thousand Guineas. Put a slot race or do something new, maybe an all-star mile type of format, but make it something different. And then you can market it. And you've seen in, in previous years that the, the races that have been a success, the new races, have been the innovation races, like the, the Quokka in Perth and the, the Golden Eagle and the Everest. So do something a bit left field. Think of something that will get everybody excited. And, and I think if you're going to extend that, you need to – you need to show a little bit of imagination and innovate, Johnny. I think the learnings are critical here, and the point you make is so true. Um, you know, I mean, I'm an absolute racing fanatic, like all of us are around the uh, in the studio here. And from my perspective, uh, to go to Guineas, lead into Caulfield Cup, then get to the Cox Plate, then get to the Derby, then get to the Melbourne Cup, yeah. by Champions Day, suits, dressing, functions, traffic, I'm done. I was done. So I think the most important thing is the learnings from this. So this might be a different crowd that we're attracting, Jared, post the carnival. Um, I didn't go on the weekend, but I did get, um, you know, solid feedback that was sort of like a picnic environment, a lot of people out on the grass under the umbrellas. The weather certainly lends itself to this time of the year. So maybe we focus on, on a different crowd, which is what... Um, you know, Racing Victoria trying to do, because I think you're right. I just don't think that the core... Um, we, we had a runner in the last, but I didn't go out for it. So at the end of the day, I think they need to focus on innovation, as you said, 
Um, but just grab the learnings out of this because the carnival is, if they're not going to push it back, Jared, if it's not going to be pushed back, the point is let's target different people, different demographics. Maybe this is the time that you put music, music festivals on and bring yep. kids in. Maybe this is the time that you focus on Victorian local produce and you bring all of the produce people in and you attract people from the country. Mm. Maybe this is the time that you put on, as you say, some slot races to bring people down from regional Victoria and celebrate all of that at Caulfield in some type of championship. So the Country Cups is a great idea. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that works. I do think the Thousand Guineas is the right race. Is you? It's clearly better having it on a standalone Saturday than having it on the Wednesday, yeah, which has outlived its worth enormously. And I, I think all the metrics around that. Mm. And the field didn't suffer one iota. It, it was no weaker. It, the Thousand Guineas is a strange race, usually. It was no weaker yeah. being at the end than it would have been on the Wednesday. I would suggest it was probably the same field enhanced by a little bit of the Sydney form that wouldn't have been here at that stage. Yeah, agree. Corvalant was uh, was not going to be uh, running the normal thousand guineas, but when they pushed it back, because I think she first won in Ju- June or July, so the thousand guineas wasn't the issue because you had Corvalant that was a favourite, the best horse won, it had run second two weeks prior or two weeks earlier, should I say? So it looks a good horse. It does have a good turn of foot. Looks a good horse. Raced up on the pace. The Rupert Clark, I am going to disagree with you, great man, Jared, because Bandersnatch was number four. There wasn't one household name. There was no I wish I win. There was no alligator blood. There was no uh, bright side. But there they was... wouldn't have gone there anyway. No, 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 no. But we're, we're trying to say that it was a great race. I don't reckon it was. But it's a handicap. You're yeah. never going to get superstars of in a course, handicap. Of course. Of course you're not. It was as good a race as what we could get. Yeah. And you know what? I'm probably taking something away from the winner because it's it's forms reading it's win, win, horse. win. Yep. That's exactly right. And the second horse ran really, really well up in Sydney. And the form around it does, does tie in, but... I don't know. I mean, I've Jared and I have argued on this show uh, or on a Wednesday morning many, many times about this. And I think if you're going to push it back and use G. Waitley's line, push the whole thing back, shut up, try it once, or... That won't happen. Well, then it won't happen. But you know what? At the end of the day, I mean, you can't eat history. And I know... You tried. <laughs> yeah, I've tried. I've tried to eat history. It doesn't taste well. You know what? There's no bigger historian in the building than Jared Waitley. But the bottom line is we can't eat history. We need innovation. We need change. I don't know the answers. I'm not smart enough to think of what it is. And we've had this debate out, out on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday morning at Flemington. And so the bottom line was we said, how do we judge this Saturday, which was last yeah. Saturday? How do we judge last Saturday? Well, we can only judge it on the punt. And no one wants to mention the word punt, but that's the only way we can judge it really because everything else was okay. Do you There's know what no I, blue. Just I, if you're going to have an opinion, need solutions. You know what I'd do with innovation? I'd make it uni day, schoolish day. So I'd give people hope. Those youngsters at the end of their uni year and their schooling year come to the races, a chance to win a hundred thousand dollars, have a slot race, maybe a young trainers race as well, and celebrate it like that. Great idea. Yeah. We need some, we need, learnings, learnings, we need some sort of innovation, and yep. I don't know what it is because, as Jared and I spoke about, the innovation has not changed during COVID. And most other industries had, by way of COVID, had to change, excuse me, life and business. Mm. But because the racing industry went on 24-7 and we did not stop during COVID, we haven't changed, you know what, we changed anything really since COVID? I don't know whether we have, have we? No, not really. Is the innovations happening in in Sydney 
um, with the days that they've invented and they've but done let me te- it to let me- some degree with great success and then in others, yeah, but not so much. You said Everest Day was a great day, Jared, but it's not the spring carnival. Now, I'll throw my brother under the bus. Michael Hawkes was there and he watched the field go out for the Golden Eagle. Michael said it was just another race at Ramwick. There was no hoo-ha. There was no, it's a $10 million race with a huge whopping marching band and whatever. And they did as best as they can. They don't have a spring carnival like we do. And they can do whatever they want with prize money. But if you sit back and and if you're a realist, you look at the spring carnival, how much more, bad choice of English, how much better could it be, really? Mm -hmm. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to make the spring carnival better? Forget about money, but what else could we have done? We saw the best races. Yeah. We had the be- all but the best horses running. We didn't miss much. J-Mac uh, did a great job. Jamie Carr has come back from wherever she's come from. Every week there was uh, a thousand and one story. You journalists would have loved it. Yeah. For, well, for but six I, weeks. I think it's fulfilled everything we were hoping, though. Well, I think and some, from, and some. Yeah, I, I would agree with Except that. Except crowd sizes. Yeah. But it, so that that is all right. This has been one of the best carnivals. And it's done a doubt. great job for racing. Um but you can't shut your sport down in mid-November when there is so much time. As a cricket doesn't start till mid-December, this is a free-for-all for every other sport. But you're saying shut the sport down. We go, t- we go 24-7. Yeah, yeah, but we showed you on Saturday is after Flemington, you, you can it just does. go back to your own circles. It yeah. doesn't That doesn't help so what the happens, sport. You've got your captive how, market. How you have people, to get more. How many of those people on Championships Day, honestly, would know who the hell Black Caviar was? There'd be a stack of people at Melbourne Cup Week that wouldn't even know what her name was. No, but I think there was a... I felt like there was a, a much greater connection to racing. The mood of the town revolved around what happened yeah, no there. No doubt. And that all that's why I would slide it back, because November is this beautiful month that racing uses about a third of most years, and if the dates fall really well, you get to about the halfway mark. So racing has to have something after the Melbourne Cup. Going provincial... Like, with all due respect to what happens provincially, that's been ridiculous mm. in recent years. It's, you get everyone engaged in your sport and then go, hey, we're finished. We're heading off to the bush. Oh, come on. That's why I think this is worthwhile. I, I think, so we judge the actual races. The Sir Rupert Clark has big race integrity. Magic Time wouldn't have been seen in Melbourne is because of those Sydney yeah. races. She comes, gosh, she sits three wide the trip and she does... I am me at the 150, a length in front. Magic Time is digging in now under hands and heels. Takes the lead, skew if late, but it's Magic Time coming clear, a class act. Magic Time won it. I am me second, straight acer up for third. So the best of the Sydney forms right there at the front of the field. Skew is a, a group one horse out of New Zealand who'd won at Flemington, and you've got Bandersnatch, who's honest as the day is long. I think that has big race integrity. She was the best horse, Graham Beggs said that her main aim was the $2 million invitational at Sydney, but once she ran a good race there and she pulled up okay, they were mad not to go to a, a handicap race when she was at the bottom of the weights, like a, a group one Sir Rupert Clark stakes. And despite the way that that track was playing there on Saturday, Johnny, she was the best horse. She overcome a bad barrier off pace. It was a genuine run race, which you expect there under handicap conditions for a group one, but she was the best horse and she won like the best horse. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, with that field there, the way she did race pretty clearly, she's got three or four or five lengths on them because to be able to sit three deep, she did, did draw a very, very tricky barrier. Um, and I think, as I sent, I sent a note out just on some ratings and stuff in the morning to both of you. And, and clearly the position was this horse will just win if it gets a great MD ride from 15. That's the only query. Well, then you get to sort of midday through the 
through the races and you're in a position where if you're not in the front two or three, you probably can't win. So anybody who was tuning in and taking the risk on having something on her, knowing she was going to be caught deep, was a pretty risky bet yeah. and it just showed how good she was. So she'll come back and be a force, I would imagine, in the autumn. Yeah. She, she's going to win another group one. There's no doubt about that. I really enjoyed the boutique stables, Jared. Joe Pride, Cole Crusher leading all of the way to win the Hunter. Huge, huge. And, and Graham Begg. Like, usually we see the Wallers and the Mara Nuisance of recent times during our carnival dominate. But I think Boutique with 50 each in work. Yeah, but I think that is boutique <laughs> these days, isn't it? Yeah, you're Your boutique. You are, you are right. No, no, you are generally right. 50, yeah. 50 was a big number once. Yeah. It's, uh, it's certainly not any, any, uh, any more. But racing's been the big winner here. We, you can't knock what has happened down here in the last eight weeks. We haven't got the prize money. <clears throat> We're better turnover-wise than what New South Wales is. No, no one mentions that. Well, we don't know the figures from New South Wales. <laughs> Wayne makes them up, but yeah. that's okay. No, We're not. sticking with what Wayne says. Continue There's one goat, Wayne. Enough. <laughs> Do you call that, is Peter telling you? Direct line to Mr. Valandis. No. Okay. Mickey D, four for the day. Yeah, yeah great unbelievable. Geez, he's a big-time player. Like, he's a Travis Head, really, of the Australian racing at the moment. Like, he just doesn't fail on the big stage. Group ones, he doesn't make mistakes these days. So, yep, hats off to him. And what about J-Mac? Oh, please. Well, gate one Stop helped J-Mac. Yeah, but just extraordinary yep. ride. He just, just well, he, beautifully he, he, timed. Blake and... Shin tried to cross him there with Cor Volante, and I thought he was going to cross him, and only Macca could kick up and said, no, Blake, you're not yeah. taking that spot. Because I think if Blake gets there – It'd be interesting to see where she finishes with the way that the nah, track she, was she, she punctured 500 from home. Yeah. Corvalant was in big, big trouble. Now, you know what? It would, it would obviously, it ran the trip to a point yep. because of the 500, it was gone. Yep. So yeah. then the day, yeah. it, she just had enough. And I reckon it's enough, a seven furlong enough. horse, mate. Like I, I thought it had But it didn't the mile, run seven furlongs on yeah. Saturday, so she punctured. Probably, probably out of its enough. comfort zone, I reckon, for the first 350. The best two to horses the Posse, of the races you know? on Saturday, they both won. The best two horses raced and won. Full stop. The racing means test for My Racehorse. It's showtime at MyRacehorse.com. Uh, the big issue comes out of Perth, as Gareth will tell us that story, which is an absolute stunner. And we're lining yeah, up. Only in Perth. Oh, only in <laughs> Perth. We're lining up. Oh, no, today as well. Melbourne's weather, cloudy atop of 22 for city power, supply and power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, back to Waitley. But taking the lead, Jolly Star, 150 metres to go from Kamochi and also Coerva Lot, the front runner, Jolly Star for James McDonald, another big one, and 2,000 guineas on the bounce. Jolly Star has won it from Kamochi, Skybird, Coerva Lot. It is our racing means tests combined for the last time in this spring carnival. That was the 1,000 guineas. The big issue, though, comes out of Perth. Now, it's a bit, it can be frontier racing over in Perth. It can be a bit wild. You want to know what you're walking into. Gareth, what on earth happened on Saturday that caused the meeting to be called off? I love Perth. I spent a lot of time in Perth. Oh, you think? Yeah. Do you think we don't realise that? Jeez, they've got a long list of. (laughs) Wow. um, Take your hat off so we can get this on camera. It's a schmozzle, really. (laughs) So, what happened is that there was. At the 500 metre mark, they tried to burn off uh, part of the track with the fertiliser. There was an issue there. So there was a patch at the 500 metre mark that was a concern for everybody involved. So this is just my opinion. What they should have done is think, well, this, we can't race on this particular patch. It's dangerous. So the rail's out two metres. We've got to move it out to three metres, all right, for the whole meeting. So 
when you wake up on that Saturday morning, make the decision there and go, we're going to make move out the rail three metres. So it's three metres for the remainder of the day. And the punters can work with that. Obviously, the rail decision was announced during the week. So the punters would have done their form a little bit with the two metre. But just moving out a metre, I think they would have accepted it and we move, we move forward. So what happened is the meeting goes on. There's horses that um, are not handling that part of the track. They're jumping over it. Um, like a red cam man in the Colonel Reeves. He was the favorite and horses who were drawn one or wanted to be on the fence. You just couldn't win really. It was a no go sign. Um, so by the time they get to the second last, they decide, well, this, this can't be happening. So just for that part of the track between the six and 400 meter mark, they moved the rail three meters just to cover up that patch, but it's two meters still for a remainder of the track. So what happens then in the, in the Placid Arc is that they all swing around the bend because the rail's out two metres. They get to the, the out to three metres and then there's not enough there's not enough room for these horses. So they all scatter um, and some of them don't handle that final bend because it just becomes too sharp for them. Um, and I think Pike, he likes to cuddle his horse around that final bend and he was an Oscar's fortune, but he had to take off because the horse wobbled around and ripcord from the back stormed down the outside to win. So it was a big advantage if you were three wide with a little bit of cover there at Ascot. So it was a complete schmozzle. It shouldn't have happened. And it's the opening day of their pinnacles and there's some big form races there going towards their bigger group one races and Perth racing have apologized, but and they had to call it off before that, the end of the meeting and they had to call the last race off which is sort of nearly unforgivable in my eyes. So you just got to be better. Have we, and you have, need have we had that happen before? I can't. Recall. In the modern era. In Someone Egan, was telling me Caulfield Cup Day. Caulfield Cup oh, Day. When? when? Oh. Yeah, 1937. No, I don't know. Modern era on a Saturday, calling the last off. You get every now and then you get a wet patch on a track, which causes a meeting yes. to be abandoned. Yeah. Sandown had so a couple of years ago. They were in they? like, they wanted to protect the rail, the part of the ground that would be used for railway stakes and winter bottom and the northerly coming up. But... It was just. It's, there you go, folks. Yeah. G Hall's just bagged WA Racing. Mongolia well, Khan at Caulfield. Did they have to call a race off that day? Um, yeah, well, back in 2015. I'll double check that. But um, yeah, it shouldn't have happened. They should have made a decision at the start of the day. And um, well, you won't be a Quaker ambassador now, that's for sure. Well, after the barrier draw and, then, and then that hardest race, <laughs> they've had a bad 12 months, they haven't they? Where they should have relegated that Love horse. It. I could go on and on. You're going to be like Jamie Spencer, mate. You'll be barred from going back there. <laughs> oh, no, he's not happy with he can't me. Come here. Not no, happy he's with, not me. Happy with me. me. Jamie Spencer. Me. I, yeah, I but you're the, one who, you're the one who sparked it all up in the oh, first place. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. A black eye for Perth just, racing. Just, just quickly, Jamie Spencer. He was. T- they were the instructions: lead at all costs. So what do you do as a job? Geez, you were potting him off here earlier. You're oh, unreal. Shut up. What are you not. looking after him now? So no, 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 no. So what do you? What does he do? If he's told to lead at all costs, what does he do? Use your brains. If you miss the start four, you drop your hands and you sit behind and that. you slowly work around over the question. 2,000. You I don't wonder go, if, I wonder if it would have won the Oakley Plate that went that hard. I wonder if you'll be riding him in Hong Kong, Jamie Spencer. No chance. Richie doesn't. All right. No we'll, chance. We'll keep that on watch. Uh, we've got a bit of got that right. And then the much anticipated no, 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 the no file. What is it? Oh, oh no, no. Yeah. Oh, no. How could you forget that? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's never been in it. He's never been in it. That's why. He's been in it a couple of times this, this, this spring. Nathan in the newsroom. The kicker to the big issue is, is does the Melbourne-Sydney duopoly hurt what comes next? Is Perth getting hurt 
by the the sequence of big races and the competition for horses, which is more intense than ever. So that was saved last year by Godolphin turning up with Cascadian and Valana and those type of horses. Palili, yeah, Palili won and, and allowed like Jamie Carr and Ben Mellum and James McDonald to arrive there. And this year they've been saved by Chris Waller with Roots heading over there. She's the favourite for the Railway Stakes, which is a handicap race. Tommy Berry to ride. Zaki's the big attraction. Yeah. They would have been... In a little bit of trouble, Saki didn't put his hand up. So he'll go around in the northerly. Johnny's got Forgot You. The other horses that'll be on that plane there today. Uh, so these are the 10 horses confirmed. Roots, Tuvalu will be hard to beat in the railway stakes and triple missile for Lindsay Smith. Um, zoom on for Gabe Waterhouse and Adrian Bott. And then you've got a horse like Forgot You for Trent Bussenden and Natalie Young. Um, Zaki, of course, Numerian, the stable mate to, um, Zaki, Ayrton and Munamek, who both competed in the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes and overpass, of course, that'll be the favorite for the winner bottom after winning the Quokka. So they'd be pretty happy with those 10 horses. They should be. Yeah. So they were saved a little bit by overpassed and Zaki. So well done to Perth. They're just in a difficult spot at the moment. Their races probably need to go up a bit. One and a half million's not really going to cut it when you've got a hunter and also a gong worth a million dollars. and But I think Sydney and, and Victoria, I've got to realise that strong states like South Australia and Western Australia are good for the game because WA, the racing fans and the younger generation, still need their hero. They need to go and see James McDonald close up and, and see Chris Waller and get a photo with Gay Waterhouse and the like. I think that's important because heroes create new generations. It's like... Um, cricket, if they lose a test match in Perth, they don't get to see the, the Steve Smith. But, it, but, it, but it's a national thing. Is it better, and Adelaide's in the same boat here, is it better to put more money into your carnivals or put more money into the other, say, 48 weeks of the year and try and boost I think boost you've got to have a big show like a Quokka or something like that. You've got to have a big show that gets everybody excited and you've got to have... But Perth Pe- hasn't been the place but you've got for to have, years You've got to give them something to dream of. You've got to give something to dream of with the big prize at the end of the day. You've got to, Perth had the prize money. I the know. Melbourne Cup was worth three hundred grand, and they had a million-dollar derby. The Melbourne Cup was three hundred when I was a kid. I know, but... Channel 7 Perth Cup, everyone watched it on sure. New Year's Day. It was bigger than big. They had their time where they were well, maybe they're going to go back to country. New Year's Day. Well, they probably don't have the, uh, the, the, the prize money, but... I reckon for the for the horses that you've just read out, I reckon they'd be pretty happy with that. Because yep. let me tell you, they could have had zero mm. and just running around with their uh, their local horses. They put on a plane out of Sydney this week, next week, whenever it is, to get everyone over and back. And that's been a, obviously well, a they big, fly big tonight. Winner. There you go. Yep. Tonight they all fly, which which is great because logistics was our biggest problem of getting horses to and from Western Australia. But still is, mate. That's that's the biggest concern. Like, forgot you. We wanted to run in the Cranbourne Cup next Saturday, local cup. Horse trained locally. If we didn't, and if it wasn't for uh, for G, we would we would have missed the plane because he rang and said, "Well, what well, we wanted to go over for the eighteen hundred before it was announced at Zaki. We're talking about forgot you here." Um, and I said, "Well, look, we'll run the Cranbourne Cup, and then we'll go over up what's impossible. There's no transport. Correct. So, so at the end of the day, I think there's a stack of great jocks going over, which is really good. Um, and I think getting around the prize money in the programming." If they did exactly what you said, G, they lifted the prize money. Guys, I mean, a horse like Forgot You is not a Group 1 Melbourne-Sydney carnival horse. He's not. Prize money is good right? for horses like him, but, but But he can go to Perth, and, and if people start to – if it's easier to get in and get out, 
it's much easier for trainers that have got the horses are just a few lengths behind the better ones, yeah. prime carnival time, to set them for Perth, as they do for Brisbane in some instances. So, sure, the Stradbroke and and um, and the other 1,400 metre or 1,200 metre, the Doombin 10,000, attracts great horses. And we've started to see, I mean, we've this, this year's Cup winner went years, through the Brisbane, yeah, Brisbane Carnival. That's right. So that's starting to happen. But, but I've I, think, had I think they just need to work in this whole national body. We can extend it into Perth easily because you would hold back horses and send them as long as the you can get in and get out. The clock that's will be the their, problem, the right? The clock will be their biggest race. It will be, but this is a national issue. Mm. See, I, see, I reckon Warnable, and they're going to boo-hoo me for saying this, Warnable should change, and Warnable should be before the Adelaide Carnival. Imagine if a Wangoon was worth 750 grand and it led into the Goodwood. Then they'd say, oh, poor Adelaide won't have their Mackay Stakes and their lead-ups. But, I mean, why couldn't you have a 2,000-metre race at um, Warrnambool that leads up to a Derby and, a, and an Oaks, mm. you know, two or three weeks later? I mean, if we had a national body, we would fix all these problems. And I so agree. right now, I've said it a thousand times, it is Woolworths v Coles, and they're fighting for their own piece of the pie. Oh, no, coming up next, it's the segment that gets everyone in the most trouble. That's why we love it so much. The racing means test for My Racehorse, owned today from just $39. My Racehorse, it's showtime, myracehorse.com, T's and C's online. This is Waitley for Hyundai, the Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. Waitley on SEN. of complaints after, oh no, you're not doing it right. We've been barred by all manner of chalky and stable today. We're going to try to get banned by the stewards, I think. Who wants to go with an oh no? Geez, I'd love to start. I'd love to start. You like to start and finish. I've got three oh no's today. Yeah, the first one is if anybody out there is watching uh, G Hall, Gareth Hall's Instagram, it's starting to make us sick. Because he's he gets his rig off all the time. He's, <laughs> really? sitting in, he's sitting in the ice bath, and I don't think he was getting as many likes as he was hoping. Oh. Parading around it. So then he really? so then because he was sharing the, the ice cold, bath baby. over the carnival with J Mac. Oh, so then go. what he does is he he just tunes the camera <laughs> over towards James, so he gets a few more likes. So that makes me sick. Where, where do I find him here? Oh, oh, Gareth yeah, yeah, underscore yeah, Hall. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Get yeah, in there. Right, so anybody right. who's not Don't if you, if you want to be sick this me? afternoon, get on his Instagram <laughs> and have a look. Get his following well, up. You should go He's on the parading. ice bath. That'd be it might just be on the videos. He 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 loves the live videos with him getting in and out of the ice bath. Anyway. You yeah. should give them a wrap because yeah. you wouldn't be paying Lars, for it. Lars Ice Bass yeah, Middle Lars, Park. Yeah, you'd be nice. Now Cash the, for comment. The second one for me is the tracks. I've had a lot to say. I've been in Strife having a crack at Mooney Valley and they've done the best they can. And I had a crack about Sydney too. And how can you possibly take futures? How can you possibly take all ups at the start of the day or the day before trying to pinch some prices when the tracks continually get dished up the way they are. I just think from a punting aspect, and look, I'm not a track manager. I've got absolutely no idea why these things are happening. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Sydney, we had a couple of nice run-on horses. And the minute you pulled wider than sort of three horses, you just couldn't make ground. Uh, the same on Saturday. I mean, that horse, Salty Air, um, I know that um, Jared was saying that he's... His, his punting pocket is completely empty now. No, after I that. own a good portion of something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just going to walk in and you just couldn't make any ground. So, look, I'm not quite sure what the solution is, but all I say to everybody who's taking futures, just be very careful because 
for the for the novel punters that are sitting back, I had a set of ratings on Saturday, and once I saw race two, I couldn't bet. I couldn't have a bet at all because I didn't know whether my ratings had been done for horses that were going to be sort of suited by the bias. So, what do you what do you do though? I mean, in all fairness, we're an outdoor sport, and I w- I will say honestly, I rang Tim Bailey, the uh, track manager, and I said, mate, I'm coming on the show on the record. He said, what can I say? He said. Do you think I thought that was going to happen? 100% no. Yeah. Yeah, Why did it? He said, a bit of extra wind and that. But he said, I don't know. And, I mean, these guys are not going out. And it played perfectly and, during the carnival. And, and you it know did. What? I agree. Tim Bailey doesn't stuff much up. Let's be blunt about mm-hmm. it. He's been, he's been a great curator. He, he's run sand down for 50 meetings a year over winter. Just be careful of your pre sort of betting, you know, without understanding tracks. That's all I would say. Can I ask about an oh-no? Because yeah, I think course. it's the one you're about to get to. So Kieran Maher has been found guilty by Racing Victoria stewards of using improper language to RV's Executive General Manager of Integrity, Jamie Steer. So I have multiple questions on this front. He's been fined $4,000. What do you have to say to the Chief Steward to get fined? Yes. And Wayne, do you just have a direct debit set up? Because I've heard your phone manner. <laughs> So four thousand dollars for swearing. I, I, I don't know. I mean, is that a, that must be a new category swearing? Because I, and everybody that knows Kieran pretty well, he's the last bloke that would ever blow up. Um, he's. I'm not saying he's not emotional, guy, but he's very quiet, well, conservative bloke, very passionate. Um, one thing I do know that he was trying to exit through the the racehorse area, the the cordoned off horse area at the races, which was about three metres from where he was standing with his um, beautiful pregnant partner because they were leaving the race course and they wouldn't allow him to go into the race horse. And when was, when, when was this? This was at 6.30 at night. On Stakes Day um, Flemington? Champions Day. Champions, Champions Day, Day, yep. Yeah. So that was at 6.30 at night. You weren't allowed to go through the horse area until 7, but nobody knew about that. So he was trying to exit three metres away to go out to the car and they said, you have to walk 700 metres around through the back of the crowd and whatever to go the other side. So he rang Jamie Steer um, and put Jamie Steer on the phone to the person at the gate. And Jamie said he's not allowed in. So, I, I, I mean, common sense would prevail here. I think Alice is about six or seven months pregnant or something like that. Um, he and her had been in and out of that area most of the day, I would imagine, mm. with the horses. Um, so I, I don't quite get it. And as I said, look, he's a very... He's a calm, he measured say, bloke. What did he say? Well, I think he swore. I, well, I don't think there was any think. verbal abuse. There wasn't any verbal yeah. abuse. It was just, you know, I can't... Uh, Have you been fine for swearing before, Wayne? Yeah. No. It's part of my vocabulary. I've sworn, I've sworn, I haven't sworn on this show, but yes, I mean, you have. Oh, yes, no, you no, have. no, not on this one. You said F. You said not on this one. Not on this show. You have one. That is not true. Not on this show with Jared. Not with Jared. I haven't. I might have next. When the boss is here, you don't. Right, right, no, 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 no. Stop. Hang on. So, and I can tell you, Joe Taylor told me this, and Joe Taylor is uh, Chris Waller's loved uh, four person who's about to uh, retire and go to, what have I said wrong? Love Retiring. four person. <laughs> well, you what can't say mean? foreman. Go on, hurry up. Foreman. We're running out of time. She? Quick. She's Chris Waller's sidekick in Melbourne. They were in. So- <laughs> okay, Garris lost it. Get back to the ice bath. I don't think Steph will be very happy about oh, that. Well, you know what I'm saying. No, we Jeez. don't. We're confused. Wayne. Stop. Assistant oh. trainer. Yeah, oh, that's probably better. That, that'll do. Oh, Assistant trainer. They were inside where the horses were over Cup Week. They went to walk out into the public. 
An old mate stopped Chris Waller and said, sorry, you can't come out of the public. And he said, quote, do I need a ticket now to get into the public? Mm. And they were not going to let them out of the horse area into the public. Mm. I mean, is this just red coats? I mean, it is because someone's told, do not do this, do not do that. I couldn't get in Derby Day where I wanted to go to the SEN uh, caravan and I had to walk 700 metres around and guess what? James Cummings had someone that saw me so he took the PI double five out of me because I wouldn't be allowed to get in. I had to walk 700 metres around the other way. The bottom line is, mate, it is what it is. You shouldn't have been allowed in the area with thongs oh. on anyway. <laughs> it was good to get your steps up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I'm going to come on on Wednesday. He's going to. I'm going to come back on Wednesday, ready to fire. He's going to go. No, no. This is Waitley now. This wasn't the mean stairs. This is serious stuff. Right. Pens ready. Something for the Battlers. John O'Neill. Five weeks running. The big finish blah, is blah, coming blah. up next. Now back to Waitley. Spywire going great guns, uh, passing the 200 metres two, three lengths in front. Uh, everybody rise, Canara. They try hard, but they are trying in vain because it's all Spywire. Spywire is going to go wire to wire. Wins it by two lengths. The next big thing for Mac is the new McCrispy. It's the next big thing. Five straight weeks, Johnny O'Neill gave us in something for the Battlers a winner. And so to finish the streak, Johnny, what do you got? Friday night at Canterbury. Oh, no. Leader? I'm just going to... Here's. Here, I'm just prefacing this. Oh, if, just if, if, it. if it's a leader's track... <laughs> no, just hey, give it. No, no, this is what I'm saying. Come on. Tumbling, one of Kieran's, very nice horse of ours. Really, really nice horse. We'll box seat first four if you can run on win. But outside of that Saturday, tune into Jimmy Star. We all had something on him the other day. He's going around in the class $375,000 race at Cranbourne. And it is a sit and steer. Oh, <laughs> tumbling and Jimmy Stand Star. and cheer. Wayne, you've given us nothing. Oh, thanks, yeah. Jared. Yeah, you've only said that. How did I, that thing I, go the other day? Well, it was scratched. Yes, it was. So I was final insult. So I, hang <laughs> didn't on. Didn't even get to lose. It's in this. Oh, <laughs> that was <laughs> it. You idiot. Didn't even get you to idiot. lose. You I love idiot. it. I love right. it. Ice chocolate is in this Friday night at Canterbury. At Canterbury, right? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to bag ice chocolate on Friday night. I know we've got to go. You know what? Everyone next Wednesday at ten a.m. Listen to SEN track. Don't listen to Waitley. Come over to our channel because you know what? <laughs> oh, thanks, Waitley. Go away, Waitley. Yes. That's Waitley. right. Go away. go away. I've loved the means test. Thanks a lot. Now back to Waitley. It is one of those beautiful days where the country is in love with its cricket team. Australia has won the World Cup in India, beating. India, it is a splendid achievement. One of the all-timers, this game in this country. Some of your thoughts. We took plenty of calls at the start. Here's a smattering of the 40 Winks temper texts. 0433 98 11 16. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Chris. G-Man, I had a nana nap Sunday Arvo before watching the first innings. Then off to the wholesale veggie market to do some work. But again, every TV vantage point was engulfed. Our Indian friends slowly dissipated with just us Aussies to celebrate the win. I'm still buzzing. Nick in Galston, watched the game until 3am. Thought Pat Cummins was outstanding. The thing that struck me was the way we batted. No ramp shots or reverse sweeps, lots of singles and hitting the right ball. Great game. It was an enjoyable win because it was one without arrogance, the send-offs, the bullying and the smart-ass attitude that they used to have. Well done. Greg in Brighton East. 
I'm not popular in my household this morning, was getting texts upstairs from my 14-year-old daughter around midnight telling me to shut up. Nathan in Cranbourne, I have woken up a very proud and happy Australian today with us winning the World Cup. Only thing missing is my dad, who I lost three weeks ago and who I would right now be talking everything about the game with and even cracking a few jokes. The most satisfying of all the World Cup wins. Last night was amazing. One of the great victories. Jared, what a moment to savour. Our greatest triumph in World Cup cricket. Winning the World Cup is not only in India, but beating the hosts in the final. Simply incredible. That's from Trent. Woke my nine-year-old son up to watch the last hour with me. Up there with watching the Tigers win the 2019 Grand Final with him at the G. A quiet achiever was Josh Inglis, who took five catches, a record apparently. The selectors who chose Labashain instead of Stoinis and Inglis ahead of Kerry appear to have got it right. That's from Big L. A magnificent, as magnificent as Head's innings was, I think his catch was the turning point. India never got control back after that. It was disappointing he didn't get to hit the winning runs, but also fitting that he got the solo ovation that he deserved. That's from Mick. I watched us bowl and went to bed. My son woke up vomiting at 1am. I thought, oh, we're all up. I may as well check the score. And what do you know? Our family sat watching the winning runs at 1.45 Queensland time. What a vomit, little fella. And so on. As we savour the mood of the nation after the finest of World Cup victories. The emotions were, they were pretty raw with the players. It was easy to take in, to share and to understand what it meant to them in the immediate aftermath. What we've achieved today um, is unbelievable. It's the best achievement um, I've ever been a part of. India, 10 from 10, with one to play. They've been the team of the tournament. They've played unbelievable. But you knew if, if we played our best cricket, we are a chance. It feels amazing. I think we were all pretty much um, excited once it got under 20. And I'd sort of resigned to the fact that I wouldn't have to bat much like 2015. <laughs> but... Um, Unfortunately, Eddie got out, and uh, what a win. Oh, I think this is bigger. Obviously, we won at home in front of our home fans, but I think the challenges we've been through the last sort of couple of months, coming here, playing in these conditions against you know, India, who's a pretty special team, and, and getting the win on a day like this is amazing. Our bowlers were fantastic, and uh, you know, that sort of flow from last game, just you know, they set the tone from, from ball one, and um, you know, the, the fielding again tonight supported that, and uh, to, to bowl India out for 240 on that in a final, um, is absolutely exceptional. It was just a, a great performance. You know, Travis Head, the show he put on was just incredible. Um, yeah, another one. Pure elation. Um, you know, I've said to a few of the boys this earlier, it's been the hardest eight wickets of cricket I've ever um, been a part of. I think we were 0-2 and Sri Lanka were none for 120, so that feels like a lifetime ago. But uh, to be here, this group, <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Between you know, Pat, Ron, all our coaching staff, all our players across the formats, I don't think you could write a script to top the winter that we've had to, to win a World Cup in India. It's been a fantastic eight weeks. It's been tough, but um, gee whiz, it's been a bloody successful and bloody enjoyable. That's a pretty good sentiment from Mitch Stark as the players had their say in the immediate aftermath. We rely on the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock, who at 0-2, and two, when the Chicken Littles were telling you that the sky was falling, Crash was the calming voice. He'd seen this before, and Australia's DNA in tournament play has shone through. Crash, hello to you. G'day, Jared. Oh, you're too kind because I've got plenty of things wrong as well. But look, I think we've got to ordain that as our greatest coloured clothes victory. I mean, 
It's just everything. I mean, I can't find a game where the opponent was better or in better form. They had the top three bowling averages and three of the top four batting averages, India. Uh, a ground holding around 100,000-plus fans, a wicket doctored, India unbeaten, and, and, and you not just beat them, but thrashed them, basically. It was... That is the best white ball victory, surely, we, 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 we've had. And uh, it was an astonishing result. So in the trophy cabinet, there are six World Cups. The first one holds such a place of admiration, sort of one in that on the frontiers of Pakistan and India and gives birth to the Alan Border era of captaincy. 99 has always been our favourite for reasons that you've recounted right through. There are such similarities and then the period of just outright dominance um, that Australia enjoys in 03 and 07 to win on Australian shores in a way that's expected as high a bar as that is. I think you can just, without the need for recency bias, you can boil this down in the circumstances that were presented, the challenge that India has always been, the zero and two start, to go on a streak from there and not just be unbeaten, but to win every game and then to dominate the final. I have no hesitation in declaring it Australia's best World Cup. A- absolutely, Jared. And the thing is, it's not what they did. It, 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 equally, it's who they beat. When they started the IPL in 2008, there was all these theories around that India would eventually find a super team full of statistical masters who, you know, presented a brick wall to opponents at both ends of the innings. Well, guess what? Here they are. They were undefeated in this World Cup. Their bowling, as I said, dominated the averages and so did their batting. They're five batsmen averaging over 50. This was the Indian super team that was the dream 15 years ago. And on their greatest stage, on a wicket prepared for them, for their very behest, where they were supposed to triumph and, and, and spin out Australia, they were outthought. You know, I thought Cummins was brilliant. 22 bowling changes, two boundaries in two hours at one point when India were batting. I mean, Mitchell Marsh bowling at 116 kilometres an hour. No one bowls that pace. The fast men don't bowl that slow and the slow men don't bowl that fast. It's a very muddling, confusing pace. He only did it for two two overs, none for five. Inglis over the stumps. But just that little game plan, that little vignette showed how thoughtful Australia was. It was quite brilliant, I have to say. So it's a triumph for planning and execution like you rarely see. This owes to Andrew McDonald and his coaching staff and then the implementation by Pat Cummins. Cummins' captaincy and performance, semi-finals and final. So at the start of the tournament, there is a school of thought that he's not in Australia's best side, and yet he leads the team with the aplomb of the revered leaders of the past strategically and the choices that he made. How central to his legacy is this? Oh, Defining. It really does. Because, look, my hand's in the air here, Jared. At the start of the tournament, I wasn't convinced he was in Australia's top 11. And you know what? Neither were some of the players. But they all respect him and liked him. And the one thing he continued to prove was the most underrated resource of the captain is calmness. And the bigger the occasion, the more he seemed to laugh with Maxwell when he was making a double century. He kept everything calm. And, and but with calmness came strategical brilliance in this last game. I mean, 
that's as good a captaincy effort as you can do. And I'm telling you, there were other Australian captains watching at home who nearly fell off their chair last yesterday when he uttered these words, will bowl. Yeah. Like, we live in a bat-first sort of world. But you know what, Jared? That was a sign of how the world's changed without us really realising it because Ian Healy said to me this morning, strike rates now are such that the pressure that used to be on the second team chasing is now on the first team. Like, it, it, because no one knows what a safe total is. In the old days, you'd bat first, you'd meander your way to 150 off 30, then you'd chug it along and get to 245 and think you were doing quite nice. Now, what's safe? Who knows? So that's why Rohit Sharma was just so frenetic and frantic. Far too much, I reckon. Like, everyone said, oh, wasn't he good for his 47? Yeah, but he, he, he lacked a third gear. He should have pulled it back a bit. He just didn't know how to put Australia to sleep when he was on top. And this is where Travis Head did. So he can be he can be impetuous and he swings at everything. He, he trended up and down in that innings quite masterfully. He was, after about 20 balls, he was nowhere. And his footwork, he was struggling with the swinging ball, which was doing plenty early. He worked his way through that. He knew when to attack. He knew when to milk. And and the milking period was so important. Sometimes it gets derided in the 50-over game. But when the spinners came on, not to get not to give up the flurry of wickets or to give the unnecessary chances. But then there's a moment where he chooses to accelerate and he narrows the the margin for victory sort of from 120 to 70 so quickly that honestly it made it made it a formality. I can't ever remember feeling that way watching an Australian team chase red ball, white ball in India, feeling like so far out it was a formality. It was the most brilliant innings. Yes, and I love the way you've spotlighted the fact that, yeah, it was brilliant, and his highlights package just positively sparkles, but it was the second and third gear that he had that Rohit Sharma didn't have, and that made the difference. He could move up and down. Now, the Travis Head of old would not have done that, but I think he, he's found himself as a batsman, and he must be the free spirit. And I know we keep quoting it, but a couple of years ago, Alex Carey did that press conference on his best mate, and he said, you just have to let Travis be Travis. Pat Cummins is onto that, and it's great captaincy. It, 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 you don't win any sort of statistical benefit from taking Travis out to dinner and saying, mate, I love the way you play. Just keep playing it as you are. But, but gee, gee, to settle him down, after all these years where they took the contract off him, the Cricket Australia contract, they liked Travis for years and years, but they just couldn't find the secret to him. Cummins has. And that was just a, a staggeringly good effort. And, gosh, what's he won? Man of the Ashes, man of the uh, World Cup. Uh, you know, he, 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 the last 12 months, he's been really good, hasn't he? So yeah, what does it say about his play? So a century in the World Test Championship and a century in the World Cup final in the same year. So unique and momentous and drives Australia to to these cherished trophies. Yeah, and, and, you know, I love the way he's cleaned up his game. I remember uh, before the 2019 Ashes series, they had a trial match. And, you know, Australia, when they, when he, they were playing each other and, and they set three gullies for Travis Head, you know, trying to get him poking down there. And that was the way, you know, you always got Travis caught in the gully. But he's tightened up, you know, and... and but he hasn't stopped being himself. He's a free spirit. And as we so often say, just like the other South Australian left-handers, Wayne Phillips, uh, David Hooks and Darren Lehman, 
but none of them played more than 30 tests. Now they've got a guy who's cracked the code and who knows how to do it, how to go the long journey. So I, I thought he was terrific, and I really enjoyed Labouchain's innings just because he's had this bizarre World Cup where he was going to be sacked about five yes. times. But he lived on. He lived on somehow continually to exist in the team on his great fielding. And he just, you know, we've said it before, but heavy-duty matches are won by heavy-duty players. England are home and long gone from this tournament because they choose flighty 2020 players and expect them to play heavy-duty cricket. Give me Labuschagne and Head, and I know he failed the last couple of games, but Smith, Warner, you know, they're, they're, they're good players. I, I Just another nod to your wisdom and experience, Crash. This is why you're such a ballast for us. We all, our hot emotions run, but you've seen it all. The double insurance policy of Smith and Labuschagne so that if you're three for forty odd in a final, you've got it there. And we were three for forty odd in a final. <laughs> oh, and, and you know, God knows I got far more wrong over the last few uh, weeks than I got right. But it's just that you know it, you, you felt that pressure in your television room, didn't you? Like it was, it was you know, hundred thousand crowd. It was cascading through and. and you need blokes who can play, soften their hands, who can face spin and pace. And that is a truly world-class attack. I mean, those first five overs last night when Shammy and that was swinging the ball everywhere, that, that was nightmare stuff. So it just shows that in amongst the Flash Harrys, uh, you just need ballast. You, you just need someone who can... Oh, oh, when Labuschagne was walking to the wicket last night, at three for 50-odd, most cricket fans were comfortable. They sort of thought, yep, we get it. You're chasing 240, Manus. You're going to have a strike rate of about 80, but you'll hopefully get us home, and he did. I think it's such a pertinent observation. If Maxwell is walking in or Inglis is walking in at that stage, Australia all out 140 is on the cards because I feel like you had to be watching it to understand that was India at its most ferocious the fervor was in every ball it was swinging every which way it was doing even more than Shami and Bumrah could understand and they could barely control and just how it scrambles the mind so if you go back and watch Steve Smith is he reviews everything but in the in the boiling pot in the middle of that environment he doesn't review his LBW and he's outside off it, he knows where everything is and he doesn't have the the presence or the freedom of mind to do it. So that's, I just think if you want to understand how that environment can scramble you, just have a look what it did to Smith. Oh, terrific observation because he's one of the great reviewers. I, I got to say, I couldn't believe that. And yeah, I, I tip Steve as man of the final. So so there there's another thing. But, but yet yeah, he just wasn't quite himself in the latter rounds of this tournament. But it was so interesting, Jared. I mean, it, this, this is also a final for the backroom boys. There were stats published on the day before the tournament of how the, the fast bowlers and the slow bowlers were averaging tremendously well in the daytime and then 40 and 50 runs per wicket at night. And they were bizarrely one-sided stats. So there's this talk then of the Jew playing into it. And, and, you know, that's how it sort of came. That's what happened. You know, at night it did get easier. But for Cummins to make that call to bowl first, I, I just, when I heard the words, I just thought, 
you are a very brave man. I'm not sure it'll get you home, but <laughs> I, yeah, I disagree with it. I, I, I thought it was the wrong call. But it, and then they proved it to be a, a masterful call, and I'm pleased for Cummins because you know he's put up with a lot as a captain. Uh, people say, oh, he's woke and he's this, and you know he's had to, but you know for a very decent sort of fellow. So I want Jared. Doesn't it cast an interesting light on captains and bowlers? I mean, to think that before Cap Cummins, the only Australian who had cap fast bowler who had captained Australia in a test match, was Ray Linwell, and he did it once. You think of all those captain, fast bowlers that could have made good captains, but we said, no, 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 mate, batsman captain, thank you. He understands bowlers, Cummins. He knows what makes them work. That, some of what he executed, a batting captain, never would have even contemplated, I think. Um, and it says a lot about Andrew McDonald and the meticulous planning that that coaching staff as well. So you talk, so the backroom planning and the on-field execution, he, he's the perfect coach for Cummins and Cummins, I suspect, is the perfect captain for, for Andrew. Yeah, they have. And look, let's not underestimate what we've seen today. That they, 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 This is a, a generation of players who grew from boys to men together, a lot of them, who've been together for, for about a decade. There were seven players there that played in the 2015 grand final in Australia. That's incredible. That's more than half the team has stayed. So this is a golden stud punchline to their careers. How long they'll play, I'm not sure. But this lifts them from good to great. It really does. I mean, just remind yourself. We're almost got used, Jared, to winning World Cups in Australia. Just remind yourself, South Africa hasn't made a final. Never mind win a 50-over World Cup. Australia's won six of them. And uh, so it's uh, a generation of players can suddenly feel they, they can be very, very satisfied with what they've achieved in their careers. And there is only one Everest remaining. And that Everest is to beat India either at home or away in tests. So they get their next crack at that next summer in Australia. Not this, but the next summer. You'll have plenty of thoughts. They're pouring through. Damien has text through. 40 Wings Temper Text, Temper a Mattress like no other. I was going to do my normal traditional draft day movie watch this afternoon, but have decided to watch the World Cup final for a second time. Nothing like a good bit of cricket in the middle of the biggest football day. Good on you, Damien. 0433 98 11 16. It's Melbourne Stars Membership Day. Melbourne Stars exclusive membership offer. Three-game membership for just $50 today only. At the end of the program, Annabelle Sutherland, who, who now is captaining the Stars, is going to join me. We are mid-conversation tapping the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on one of the great days of Australian cricket. Melbourne's weather, cloudy, a top of 22. For City Power, supplying powder homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, back to Waitley. Uh, that's huge. That's I think that's the pinnacle of... Uh international cricket winning a one-day world cup especially over here in india in front of a crowd like this um you know it's been a big year for everyone um but you know the, our cricket team's been to here in india ashes world test championship and to top it off with this is just just huge and these are the moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life why is it the pinnacle oh, it's just every international team comes together you only get a shot at it every four years you know even if you have a 10-year career you might only get two chances at it and uh yeah, it's just, you know, the whole cricket world stops with this World Cup, so 
doesn't get any better. Beauty and prestige of a World Cup. Pat Cummins with his assessment in the aftermath of victory. Some of your thoughts from Travis. Watched the final and loved it so much. To make sure I kept the good times rolling, I then watched the 2023 grand final again. Good on you, Travis. Chris's text through, like the game, I was on a knife's edge from the opening ball until Maxi sealed it. Chasing a seemingly modest total, it never felt comfortable. Maybe that's why today's level of exaltation is so profound. Yours in delightful weariness, Chris. And never felt so at ease. The victory was assured with 70-odd runs needed until the players started moving out of their seats with about 20 runs needed. My superstitions again aroused when the team tempted fate, but I need not have worried. Robert Craddock, I wonder, what will the reviews be like of India in India, do you think? So tentative in their... Like, it was it was out of out of kilter with the rest of their tournament. It, it was, Jared, and, and it, the reviews will be sort of harsh, I feel, uh, on their finals performance. And here's the thing. It's, it's all within the prism of the fact that they haven't won a white ball World Cup since 2011. This mega country that runs world cricket, 80 cents out of every dollar in cricket is raised in India. They are the best, the biggest at everything, and yet they can't win a World Cup. So... It, do you know what? In the previews to the game, there were soft spots which came to which were exposed last night, and one of them was the fact that their tail just hadn't batted. Yep. And it was a long tail too because they had no all-rounder. They had no sticks bowling option. So it was always going to be a desperately grim moment for India and testing moment when their tail got exposed, as it did last night. So they, uh, they're not the perfect team. They're a very, very, very good one, but they're not perfect. And they felt the pressure as much as Australia last night. I often feel, Jared, that the best Indian players in India don't hear the noise around them in the way that people who live near a railway line, eventually you don't hear the trains yep. because you hear so many of them. It's just all outside noise. But I tell you what, they felt it last night. When those three wickets fell, they were tight and they were taunt. I mean, two boundaries in two hours? That was incredible. Indian cricket team who, you know, was whistling along at a a 300 sort of uh, run per innings rate throughout the tournament. It put me in mind of um, preliminary final night where Collingwood had the whole crowd against the Giants. And when you're not playing well or things run against you, the, the groans... Uh, from the crowd, they they infect the atmosphere. So as much as when it's all going well, it infuses and energizes everything that's happening. But when it turns, it, it's it's impossible to escape the tension that is pouring all over. You know you're in a tight spot, and the crowd's reinforcing that you that you're in a tight spot. It becomes this fascinating ecosystem, which I thought was material for them last night. That the crowd couldn't get into it once. Coley was out. And so once they picked up the ball, every ball once it started for those first seven overs, but then it 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 um it popped so quickly and all the energy drained out. And part of the idea of what a foregone conclusion it was so far out was the faces and the complete lack of belief in the stands. And then the players on the field, you could see the, the, those efforts chasing balls, and that they just drifted away. There was no thought that they could suddenly take five for 30 and roar back into it. 
No, no. And, and the, the silence was deafening, wasn't it? They're, they're not a big booing crowd, the Indians. They just go silence when things aren't going their way. And just the sheer oddness of having a 100,000 crowd and, and almost without voice was something, wasn't it? But, Jared, I love the funny little things that you see on social media to follow up. Jeff Kennett, the former Victorian Premier, said, Australia picks its cricket uh, 11 from a population of 26 million, India from a population of over 1 million. He should have meant billion. Yeah. And, of course, people are following in with, gee, India's population has shrunk, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just watching all this. But, but it is a... I felt that this is what Cummins brought to the team, an ability to relax in the most extremely nerve-wracking scenarios, but with a smile, how it diffuses everything. And it happened in the Ashes. uh, It happened in the World Cup, even when they were two wickets down. And and to give Andrew McDonald a rap, he has a very similar temperament. I mean, the coaches who survive at cricket these days are the ones who don't go to the opposite ends of the emotional extreme. They're just calm. Trevor Bayliss, John Buchanan was like that. John Wright, when he coached India. Andrew McDonald, it's a, nothing seems to rattle them. Cricket's that game where the coach almost has to be passive because there's so much pressure on over day after day that you, if the coach is a bit it volatile, it just destroys everything. Wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock, the morning that Australia has won the World Cup. More with Crash after Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Crash, what what does this World Cup do to the future of 50-over cricket, the place of the World Cup? Terrific question. Do you know what, Jared? I was just thinking about that this morning. Where do we go from here? I, I, I think it will be good for it in the short term, but it will f- will continue to fade. I think the relentless charge of T20 cricket is unstoppable and the World Cup will be an every four-year event and, and where teams playing 50-over contests as that event gets closer. But we're just seeing this downgrading in 50-over tour. And the one thing I've got to say is, Jerry, yes, it's been a great tournament, a fabulous final, wonderful semi-final series, but... If you started a, a bilateral series between Australia and India in two months' time, it would just go back to being a little mundane, wouldn't it? People wouldn't care as much. But what made this special was that trophy, that silver trophy at the end of it that we, everyone was so desperate to get their hands on. These bilateral series don't have a lot of context, and that is why they're fighting for their life amongst T20, and T20 is going nowhere. It's only getting bigger. So while it would be easy for me to say, Jared, I think this will breathe a fresh coat of paint on everything and it'll, and it'll spru- spruce up the 50-over scene, no, I, I can't quite get there. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that, but I hope what it does enshrine is that in four years' time, there must be a 50-over World Cup. So what do you do in the intervening period? I think that that is a worthwhile debate. But this has shown it remains the pinnacle tournament. I agree with what Pat Cummins said. This is the right format for it. Tenton teams, everyone plays each other, and then you settle down to fight it out in the knockout phase. So I feel like they've got their template. Um, and then what do you do to keep 50-over cricket ticking along? Just ticking along, keep it viable, but come together for, for this tournament every four years. It would be a terrible pity if administrators voted this out of existence. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and I, I, the next one's scheduled to be in South Africa. And 
Hey, Jared, talk about sporting teams under pressure. That poor South African team who have never made the final of a World Cup. Can you imagine? Somewhere in South Africa as we speak, there are cricketers lying in bed, staring at the ceiling, seeing, saying, in four years' time we'll be hosting this tournament and my knees are knocking together already. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, you, you, spot, you said one thing earlier that I thought was significant. I think this has made Australia... Uh, not fall in love with its cricket team, but increased affection for it. And that had really concerned me over the last three or four years in Sandpaper Gate. You know, I get any number of people saying, I don't love this team anymore. You know, why is that? And you can't love something you can't enforce on someone or you can't have logical reasons why. It just has to happen. And when, I think when people see what happened last night, the, the cleverness of the way Australia played, the fair way they played, the, the, the resilience and guts they showed, um, I, I think it's where they're tugging at heartstrings and, and that's as important as anything. They're such a likeable team. I, I know there are there are players with baggage who will never win their way back into some hearts, but the rest of it, it's the rest of it that is just so likeable and I think the combination of the way that they play, always with that Pat Cummins smile, he refuses to be baited by the previous generations who say you've got to have a bit more mongrel in you, is the way he has led this team is perfect for the modern era and it challenges a few and that's okay. Uh, I think this is this is such a triumph on so many fronts. Crash, it's great to share it with you on this Monday. Thanks a lot. Pleasure, Jared. My pleasure. What a, what a, what a couple of months we've had. It was a Pleasure to share the journey, mate. Thank you. Brilliant. Dave from Hamilton will speak for a few here. Kids were nearly late to school this morning as we watched both innings highlights when we should have been getting ready. I couldn't have been happier than when my six-year-old daughter said, I want to play cricket for Australia, as do her seven- and nine-year-old brothers. This type of thing can't be underestimated as it sets up a whole new generation of fans. Dave from Hamilton. Go Aussies. Go Aussies indeed. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. We're heavy on our cricket theme today. It's Melbourne Stars Membership Day. Melbourne Stars exclusive membership offer. Three-game membership for just $50 today only. Yesterday, the Stars had a win in the WBBL under the captaincy for the first time of Annabelle Sutherland. And Annabelle's with me. Congratulations. Welcome to the program, Annabelle. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, it was nice to get the win yesterday. How did you find the experience leading the team? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was pretty big shoes to fill with, Meg not being there. But, um, yeah, I was pumped to, to get the opportunity and just really proud of the way that the girls came into the game with lots of energy and, um, yeah, got the job done over a pretty um, yeah, pretty good side in the heat. How much, uh, how much notice did you have? Have you been giving the leadership thought in recent times? Um, well, I was, yeah, sort of vice captain and then, um, yeah, about about 24 hours. So, um, yeah, enough time to get get my head around it, but um, have been in and around the group for, um, yeah, obviously the, the season and, and helping out with a bit of leadership stuff. So, um, yeah, the girls made it really easy for me and were, were awesome. And um, we had, yeah, lots of different people put, up, put their hand up yesterday and, and play their role perfectly. You've been in great form throughout this tournament. So second in the golden arm, so that's wickets, and top 20 in the batting. How uh, how would you assess your all-round form over the, the dozen games or so? Um, yeah, a little bit up and down. I mean, it's been uh, sort of a, a bit of a theme for our team across the season with 
just not quite um, getting the job done with the bat and, and myself included getting getting starts and, and probably not going on as much as I would have liked. But, um, yeah, that happens in the T20 game. And, um, yeah, nice to contribute with the ball. I think Soph Day is, uh, is is sitting on top of that leaderboard with the, the wicket. So very happy to be sitting under her. And um, nice that we're, we've been able to form a bit of a partnership and, and work together to take wickets throughout. You get, um, the season. Yeah, you get to bat at four for the stars for Australia. You shuffle down a, a lot further than that, uh, given the the quality, and you've perfected your role late. And um, how do you find the having the time to? Oh, I know T twenty is a fast game, but to compose in innings and bat for a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll take any opportunity I can get up the order, and um, yeah, it's a it's a great chance to do that for the stars and. Um, yeah, I think fours and it's an interesting spot because you can come in at um, any different scenario and, and um, yeah, kind of have to, to go with it. But um, it's a great challenge and I'm, yeah, learning a lot. Get to play at the MCG on the on the coming weekend. How much do you cherish those opportunities? Yeah, Saturday night, which which will be really cool. And, um, yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. I mean, any renegade stars, um, Melbourne Derby is uh, comes with a little bit of extra spice. So um, I know the girls are, are pumped for it. And I mean, no bigger stage than the MCG. It was only a couple of years ago that we had the, the World Cup final here and um, saw a, a packed house. So hope, hoping we can get as many down as possible and um, yeah, see the support from both Melbourne teams. Saturday, 6.10pm MCG, the local derby, the Stars and the Renegades. How far did you make it in the World Cup final last night? Yeah, I got about halfway through our batting innings, so um, I thought I did a pretty good job, but um, nice to wake up and, and see the boys had, had done the job. And, um, yeah, it was pretty good. To, I mean, India have had it all their way throughout the, the whole tournament, but, um, yeah, the, I guess the Aussie boys just know how to how to compete and um, get the job done when it's needed. So, yeah, pretty stoked for them. Yep, yep. There's a there's a lot happening in Australian cricket right now. Annabelle, congratulations on what you're doing. As Tim texts through, how good are the Sutherland siblings? Because your brother led Victoria quite magnificently the MCG to a shield victory yesterday. So we're pretty lucky to have the family at the forefront here in Melbourne at the moment. Good on you. Thanks, Jared. Annabelle Sutherland there. So she's captaining the Melbourne Stars in the absence of Meg Lanning. It's Stars Membership Day. Melbourne Stars exclusive membership opera. A membership offer, three-game membership for just $50 today only. Dwayne's back for Midday Madness. It'll be a great Midday Madness too. The AFL draft tonight, basking in World Cup victory today.